Welcome back to the Air It Out podcast. I'm Lucas Shu. We are doing a one-off draft kind of podcast here. Just kind of back and flow things. Got quarantine going on. People bored, so thought why not to do a podcast. With me, I have Paul Duncan. Paul, he's been working at PFF with me for a while. I did a podcast with him a while ago back in fallish, winterish time area. And uh, he messaged me earlier asking me to do podcasts again. I said, why not? I mean, nobody else has anything going on. Paul, how's it going? How are you hanging out with this quarantine? Uh, I'm doing good. It's been it's been really weird. Uh, I actually work in my like nine to five is usually working with uh, as an usher with like the local sports teams, the Cavs and the Indians, and then that disappeared. And now I'm a bike mechanic. I knew nothing about bikes like a month ago, so it's like really kind of uh, funny how something like this can change uh, make life different. But, I mean, it's also given me a lot more time to uh, watch film, break stuff down, and have a more informed opinion on things. Yeah, I'm right with you there. Um, things are just really weird. I mean, I was I used to be uh, doing stuff with Wisconsin Herd for basketball, and doing stats analytics and all, and working with them. But now that's obviously gone. So things are just really, really, really weird. But we're talking draft. we got a lot of things going on. Why not just get right into it right away? First thing we got is Paul. I just, I'll let Paul talk about this. We got Tua versus Herbert. Obviously, the number one QB, pretty much 99.99% of people think is Joe Burrow. But then you got guys behind them, like your Tua and Herberts. And Paul may have an interesting take on the Tua versus Herbert debate. Paul, what's your take on this? Yeah, I'm going Justin Herbert over Tua. I know that kind of contradicts what a lot of my uh, cohorts at PFF believe, but I'm really not entirely sold on Tua, especially after this injury. I mean, we saw that he can throw and that it's not going to be like a full career-ending injury thing, but when you have a hip injury, that can take away two, two very important things needed to be a good NFL quarterback, it can limit his arm strength, which already was below average for an NFL starter even before the injury, and it might have impact his mobility inside the pocket. Now, the mobility inside the pocket, while he's not like a Lamar Jackson or a Justin Fields or Cam Newton type scrambler, he's mm-hmm. always been good at being able to step up in the pocket, um, uh, being able to find the holes and the gaps to uh, find the open lanes. So I'm really kind of concerned that that hip injury may limit his ability to do those things at the next level. And then if it does, then he's just going to be a a slower, accurate quarterback with very little arm. And while accuracy is the most important, accuracy and decision-making are the most important trait, if you don't have the ability to make plays out of structure, you're kind of stuck in kind of like a Teddy Bridgewater type role. And that's what my concern is with him. Right. Yeah. I mean, that injury is not, obviously it's not good for Tua. Obviously it's not good for his NFL projection, but so now that we, Tua obviously is really good accuracy wise and really talented decision-making wise. What do you like about Herbert that separates him from Tua in your eyes? Oh, I mean, the tools, it's, he's got a very good arm, but uh, his accuracy isn't terrible either. Um, I've made the comparison that he's uh, very similar to Josh Allen, athletically and build-wise, but you take about five points if this were in Madden, if like Josh Allen has the 99 throw power, he's like five points less in throw power but five points higher in throw accuracy. So you still have all the physical tools, all the ability to um, make plays out of the pocket, um, muscle defenders off of him for sacks, but he has better accuracy and a little bit better decision-making than what Allen had. And you're just mm-hmm. sacrificing, oh, instead of being able to chuck the ball 70 yards on his knees, he can chuck the ball 60 yards on his knees. So I really think that will give 
offense coordinator is a lot to work with. I think he can um, be used in RPOs, read options, make um, and make plays out of the pocket. I really think that Oregon offense kind of limited him. He was mostly just asked to throw screens and easy stuff. And I think um, with with his mind and his tools, you put him in a, with a good offensive coordinator, I think he can uh, be a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I, I really agree with the uh, scheme system he had at Oregon. I really don't think that helped him out whatsoever in his projection to the NFL and projections of draft. It was, he, Herbert's a really good down-the-field thrower. He's got really good accuracy, really good arm, as you said. But what they did with him at Oregon is they used him in, like, what you said, in, like, throwing a screen and throwing uh, just simple passes, just, like, five to ten yards, like a lateral offense. Instead, he should be playing in an offense like, I had him going to the Buccaneers before Tom Brady thing going on, but in that Bruce Arians offense where it's throwing the ball downfield, testing guys down the field, testing the defense on the field, he should be in that style of offense. And I think if he had that in college, I think he'd be doing be higher on people's boards because you can show off his arm more. Everybody knows he has a good arm, but he didn't really get to show it on film a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's what can be kind of difficult in scouting is it can be very difficult to know whether the coaches schemed against um, doing that kind of offense because they were uncertain that Justin Herbert would have the confidence or the ability to consistently be able to hit balls down the field or if they were just so stuck in their schematic ways that it hurt Herbert. So you're kind of in a chicken and the egg situation with are the, co- the coaching staff not doing this because Herbert can't do it? Or is it going to be the, uh, or are they just kind of doing what they're doing and they don't, they don't even want to try? There's, just, it, there's a lot of unknowns in scouting, and I think a lot of people miss that. Right. I mean, this makes scouting so dang hard. I mean, people always, I mean, scouts, obviously, people in general, people who enjoy scouting, always think they got the guy, but scouting there's so many of those things that you can't really know for sure on anything really and it's so hard to find out even when you can find it out that it's just so hard to be certain on a guy and exact on a guy because of those things that are like was it his coach or was it herbert in the situation of like who's who's the reason behind this like is it just the coach actually believes he didn't he didn't want to change for herbert because he herbert wasn't that good or is Herbert actually good but the coach was just like no, I'm the coach. I'm gonna. We're gonna do this. I've always done this. We're gonna keep doing this. Do no. And, and Herbert's good at this. Herbert's good at this too. Right. It's not right. like Herbert was a bad quarterback last year by any means. He wasn't too out of burrow great, but he wasn't like below average. Right. Yeah, I agree. It is hard to determine how these guys played, how the coaching played everything out. But one thing that's easier to determine, I I believe, is easier to determine is the supporting cast of these guys. So c- compared to their supporting cast, Paul, like who had a better offensive line or receiving core? Who do you think had the easier time in college as it is? Oh, absolutely. Tua Tagalavoa. Um, but I think it should be mentioned, because I haven't really heard, heard too many people mentioning this, is uh, how good Oregon's offensive line was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Herbert did not need to play under pressure that often, which is good because last year, whenever he was under pressure, he did not play very well at all. That's another kind of big concern is how well he plays when when blitzed. Granted, I do think that's something that he can fix over time, but Herbert had uh, Penny Sewell, Sewell, um, who, who, if he was in this draft right now, I'd take him over Thomas, Becton, Wirfs, all of them. He would be the third pick after Chase Young this year if he was in the draft. That kind of freak. And then he had guys like Cal Throckmorton and a whole bunch of other veteran offensive linemen protecting him all season long. Now that, um, well, that is impressive and kind of is a bit of a concern. Tua has has more talent around him than any quarterback has in college football has had in, in history. I read on Football Outsiders that the anticipated draft capital on the um, on the 2009 Alabama's offense was is more than any quarterback has had 
as in their database. And not only is it more than any other person, it's 60% more than any other quarterback. Tua Tagalogo is pretty much playing on an offense that'll have Jerry Judy, first rounder, Henry Ruggs, first rounder, you know, uh, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, who are coming back to Alabama, both of them have the potential to become first rounders um, next season. I believe if Devontae Smith was in the draft right now, he would be in the mix of being a top 10 wide receiver in this draft. Heck, he was their second best wide receiver. He was uh, the second most productive receiver for Bama last year. And then you have Jalen Waddell, who has all the potential in the world. He would probably be a second to third round pick as well. So that just having four wide receivers who would be a better receiving staff core than what some NFL teams currently have right now is a ridiculous advantage. And then he's got two first-round quality tackles in Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills. Mm-hmm. Wills could be a top-ten pick if, um, if uh, their left tackle were to come out in the draft, he would have been a first-round pick. They have a guard, Brown. He could be a first, second-round pick next year. Then you have Najee Harris, who was a top-ten running back in college football last year. I know it always sounds kind of crazy when people are like, oh, could the 0-16 Browns beat Cleveland State or um, beat Ohio State? Almost always the answer to that is no, and it would be like 35-3. to But I don't think I'm crazy when I would say if the Alabama offense went against the Detroit Lions defense from last year, I think they'd put up 21, maybe even 28 points on them. That offense is just that good you get it uh so and that's another one of my big concerns about Tua is he didn't throw that many deep balls a lot of his passes were slants crossing routes over the middle to very very fast receivers all all four of them have um have recorded times of under four four five and on on their practices so it's, it's almost a little easier to be accurate when all of your receivers are fast and all of your receivers have good hands and you have the time because you have a great offensive line. So that is a big concern for Tua. And while a lot of people are mentioning this as like, oh, this is kind of his one weakness, this is kind of, uh, this is a thing that I think should be listed even higher as a concern. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an excellent point, honestly. Like, people don't really... People talk about Jedrick Wills, I because he's coming into the draft. But Alex Leatherwood, and I believe Josh Forsberg, is just as high as Willis. I've seen him being even higher. He's also a great tackle on the other side of him. And people always forget about the ha- that Bama has these Jalen Wild, Avante Smith, along with uh, Judy and Ruggs and everybody. I think if Ellis used offense... Was wasn't the LSU's offense that it was last year? I think people were talking about the Alabama offense and going, "Look at this historic offense because of how many weapons they have, the running backs they have. They have two on it, this offensive line. Look at this historic offense." But LSU came in and Joe Burrow came in and just set the world on fire. But if it wasn't for Joe Burrow, I think we'd be having almost not the same conversation because of Joe Burrow's like historic season. But we'd be having a very similar one because of how good Bama's offense would have been had. LSU not just been one of the deep. But I think we got the Tua Herbert debate. I think we got that all right. I think Paul got his arguing out there for Herbert. We talked about one SEC quarterback, and then we go to the keeps in the SEC. I think we talk about a defensive lineman in the Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw debate. Derek Brown is very, very, very high at multiple boards. I've seen him top 10 pretty much everywhere in mock drafts. I've seen him going to the Lions, Jaguar. I've seen him just barely falling out top 10. I haven't seen it at all. And if he does fall out top 10, I've seen him going like 12, 13, not fall out 15. But Javon Kinlaw should be recognized as just as good as Derek Brown to me if not better than Derek Brown, in my opinion. Paul, what do you think about the Derek Brown versus Kim Law debate? 
So uh, these are uh, two players that I both scouted in full. I watched th- uh, three or more of their games, and I've got I've got full reports written about them. Uh, I gave them both a grade of 7.0, which means they're an immediate impact starter. But what they do is very different, and how you value what they do is going to determine whether you want to be a Kinlaw person or a Derek Brown person. So Derek Brown is stronger than Javon Kinlaw, and he's better in the running game. He has the ability to take on double teams without moving backwards. He has good good tackling range and, uh, and better instincts than Kinlaw. But Kinlaw has better athleticism and better pass rushing. And more importantly, at least to me, is better potential. So if you are a team that wants to run stuffing defensive tackle, then yeah, Derek Brown's going to fit that bill perfectly. He's going to he's going to walk onto your team and and fill that job. But how valuable is that job compared to what Javon Kinlaw could be, which is a six foot six, three hundred and ten pound interior defensive lineman who can actually generate pressure because he has one of the most ridiculous first steps I've ever seen. There will be plays where he times the snap, he gets off the ball, does a quick swim move, and he's in the backfield before the quarterback can even think. These are the kinds of pressures that you don't see Derrick Brown get. I mean, Derrick Brown's a solid pass rusher for the college level, but I can't imagine him being like a 5-10 to sack guy where I can see Javon Kinlaw, if he kind of figures figures it out, being somebody similar to Chris Jones, where he's a threat to get a sack against against anybody. Uh, not uh, what is it, Chris Jones? That's what I meant. Yeah, I mean, Kinlaw is. I think I have Kinlaw higher than most people because of the. I value pass rushing more and the ability to get to the quarterback more than the run stuffing big dude who can just take on multiple blockers, not lose ground, and be able to bring down a running back when he runs to the A-gap. I value the ability to get to the quarterback, the ability to create pressure from the interior, be able to push a pocket, be able to have incredible pass rushing moves that Kinlaw does. I think that's more valuable. You aren't drafting... I, to me, I think Brown's a better player. I think if, a, if I'm just going to rank player-wise, I think Brown's slightly better to me. But... In the draft, you aren't drafting to draft the best player. You're drafting to win games. And if you want to win games, I think you take Kinlaw over Brown because of the fact that he can get to the quarterback. Brown, Brown, I haven't seen him do that. He should be able to at least push the pocket. He can do it, push the pocket. He can drive guys back a little bit, but not to the ability that he should be able to do it. He's a freak athlete. Him and Kinlaw both freak athletes. Brown should be able to drive the center or the guard who's ever blocking him into the pocket way more consistently. Mm-hmm. And then another uh, thing, that, uh, another way to differentiate between Brown and Kinlaw is Brown is a much more refined player. Uh, I, th- I thought his hand usage and instincts were better than Kinlaw's, and his motor is significantly better than uh, what Kinlaw was. So we know Derek Brown is a very smart guy, a very high qual- uh, high quality person. Uh, he was a finalist for like the Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year. He's a stud off the field. So you know that his floor is very high. Like worst case scenario, he's going to be a starter all five years of his rookie contract and, may- and maybe grab a pro role in there, consistently getting between 70 and 80 PFF grades. But Kinlaw, if he can correct his motor, because if you watch Kinlaw, you will you 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 will have seen like quarters of plays where he just does nothing. Yeah. Now that may not be motor, it may be a stamina issue. But if he can figure out how to use his hands better, how to get in better shape, then he can be. Like I said, a Chris Jones or a Fletcher Cox type player that will go to the Pro Bowl or All Pro multiple years or if he doesn't then well 
he's got a much, much lower floor than Brown. So Derek Brown is the safe pick. Javon Kinlaw, a little bit more risky, but a lot more reward. Yeah, I think it's a really way point to put it. I think Derek Brown, I've heard Mike Renner say this a lot. I heard Mike Renner say, Derek Brown has a way high floor and a huge floor, or a high floor, excuse me. He kept saying how Derek Brown, when, like, a couple years from now, when, like, I think people actually know what we're looking at, kind of a general idea, like your rookie year, that's not going to determine it, because you, you develop more and everything, you can adjust to the NFL life. But after a couple of years sample size, he said he could see Derek Brown being the top 15 in terms of war, just because he has such a high floor that he could probably be good in the NFL, like a solid player. But in the terms of like long term and being better and who could be better in time in terms of their like peak, he could see Kinlaw being better in terms of war and grade because of what he does on the field of being a pass rushing machine and really get to the quarterback so well compared to Brown where you can't do that as much. Absolutely. I would, I would agree. It's uh, floor, floors and ceilings make a uh, big difference in how you would want to evaluate a player. And this is something that like the scouts are going to be uh, talking to him. They're going to try to fit, try to figure out if they can, if he's coachable, if he can correct some of the areas where he's a little bit more raw and they're, they're going to really want to get that feel for him because they will want to know if they can get the good Javon Kinlaw and avoid as much as the average to okay Javon Kinlaw as much as possible. Right. He's, it's just an interesting debate between these two guys because of how divisive they can be with Derek Brown being the freak athlete everybody loves and the run stuffer and uh, just being able to stop a guy at the line of scrimmage and then Kinlaw being uh, the pass rushing machine but has a little bit of workhorse issues. Like, do you want him? He takes plays off a lot you don't really like. Nobody likes. But he's so good at getting to the uh, quarterback. It's a really interesting debate. Now that we are talked about the defensive tackle debate and who who's the best one, how about we flip it over to the other side of the line and talk about the offensive tackle, no way better way to put in a log jam going on there with like the being everybody, the five main guys, main guys people love a lot. Paul, who do you like? Who do you not like? What's your opinion on this whole log jam? Well, uh, for one, like this offensive tackle class is so so much better than the previous ones. We've just had a long run of mediocre. Mm-hmm. offensive tackle classes like I think like the top three or the top four all three of those guys I think are better than guys like what Jonah Jonah Williams was last year what Mike McGlinchey was the year before that all of these guys are like more talented than like the Colton Millers of that we've been seeing getting drafted in the first round in the past couple of years that said I think the best one is going to be Andrew Thomas uh, I'm a Browns fan. We need a left tackle. That's kind of been the big debate going around uh, Twitter. It's which tackle are we going to take? Uh, so uh, I obviously want them to take Andrew Thomas, but I think mm-hmm. every team that's looking for a tackle should want uh, Thomas. He's kind of fallen off, uh, people, uh, dipped on a lot of people's boards lately because of uh, guys like Beckton and Werfs and uh, have kind of shot up the boards. And it makes sense. Like somebody like Beckton is just way bigger than any, anybody else. And that's exciting, especially since he can kind of move his feet a bit. Tristan Werfs is the most freakish athlete at tackle we've, uh, we've seen since I don't even know who. Do we, can we go, is he like the most athletic tackle coming into the class since like Orlando Pace? It's, yeah. His numbers are just freakish. Like when does an offensive lineman have a vertical jump? I think it was like, was it 35 or 37 inches? Like, that's just unheard, that's unheard of. He is a workout warrior, and he's a, just good at his position. 36, yeah, 36 and a half. That's, that's unheard of. Ridiculous. But, and uh, what is it? Jedrick Wills? Mm-hmm. If you watch him, those feet are so quick and choppy. He, his foot quickness, lateral quickness is unstoppable. 
I don't think I've seen him get beat by a speed rush to the outside in any of the games I've watched him. So, while Andrew Thomas doesn't have one, like, defining skill set or one big trait that, um, would, that'll wow scouts like all the other prospects do, he is just B-plus to A-minus on all of those things and the best and the most refined best overall talent in the, um, from the tackle position. Yeah, I'm I'm right with you there. I mean, these this off the tackle class is weird in two ways in that it's really good because of who's in it, who's these guys, and they're how talented they are. But it's also weird because these guys are like not they're not like redshirt seniors who are like 23, 24 years old where they're just like older than everybody else and just out physical everybody else because of how much bigger and better their bodies are. They have some refinement to their games. And they're actually winning, not just based on their athleticism, for the most part, and Kyle Becton maybe, maybe the exception to that role, but they're not winning based on their athleticism. They're winning based on their skill and their technique and their pass sets. They're, they're very skilled, too. It's not just your freaks. It's like these guys have some legit, technical, talented, skilled abilities. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh... Georgia, as we know, they have become kind of a bit of an offensive line making uh, factory. They have a bunch of good linemen on their team now with uh, Thomas, Isaiah Wilson, and Solomon Kindley. They had Isaiah Wynn in the past. Like those guys know how to coach offensive linemen, and you can see it with Thomas. I was watching film with uh, a local coach, and he was telling, um, he was saying. Uh, he was looking at the defense. He was like, I know this is going to be a, a slot corner blitz because they have more guys over on the side. And they're like, we'll see if he recognizes this. And low, uh, fair enough, he did. And then as I'm watching more film and I'm seeing this situation, I'm seeing this cue, he's consistently hitting on it. He's not confused by stunts. He's not confused by weird blitzes. He knows what's going to happen and he sees what's going to happen. Even though he's not as quick as somebody like Wills or his uh, quickness might be a little bit closer to average for an NFL starter than great for one, he has the smarts to make up for it, the smarts and technique to make up for it. And that's why, especially me as a Browns fan, who wants a good left tackle day one, I think Andrew Thomas is going to be the best, the, the best bet. I mean, yeah, I think I think he's your best bet going into there. But there's two guys who, in particular, who are maybe more divisive than your worst, your Wills or Thomas. Because I think those three guys are like the, yep, put them in the top fifteen. They'll be the best. They they're gonna be your best offensive tackles. But then you got guys like a Josh Jones, and you got guys like a Mackay Becton. What what do you make of? Let's go with Josh Jones first. His first, he had a really good senior year. Kind of came out of nowhere. Kind of surprised people. Like, who is this guy? But he looked really good. What do you got on Josh Jones? Yeah, I've been... Uh, I saw from PFF that they were rating Josh Jones ahead of Mekhi Becton. I'm not quite sure if I would go that far. I do think they're a lot closer than what like the average draft analyst would have them at. But... I still think I would take that shot with on, on Becton's size before I would go with um, Josh Jones. I mean, he plays for Houston. The, um, the competition there obviously isn't going to be as good as what uh, Becton saw at Louisville. So, of course, Josh Jones is going to have a great grade. I think Josh Jones is probably a similar uh, prospect to somebody like the Mike McGlinchies and um, Jonah Williams is of the past year. So he's easily a first rounder. And if this was any other year, he'd probably be the first or second tackle taken. So I think there's a shot. He'll be a, I think he'll be a year one starter. I don't, I'm not sure yet the polish or the, um, skill set to be like an impact starter he seems to be more uh him and Becton both seem like the guy who's going to figure it out year two right i think i like josh jones i think he's got some he's got some nice technical abilities and he he came off of nowhere my radar as well like i was not expecting him to be nearly this good as well he's a super talented guy he's got all the tools he wanted of 
offensive tackle coming into the NFL, but there's just certain things obviously he needs to work on. What opposite of Josh Jones now, you got your Mackay Backdens. What do you think of this? I don't even know how that's going. Human bulldozer. What, what do you think of Mackay Beckton? Um, something that I kind of have a little scouting philosophy on is sometimes a player will have a trait that is just so unique, something that he's going to walk in and be the best thing in the NFL in. And those players are, well, they're rare. Like, uh, on my draft scale, I have a um, – my highest grade is a 9 for a trait. And the 9 means the second he steps on the field, he's the best. This is like 99 in Madden. This is something that with this tool, he will have the potential to dominate. And Mackay Becton has one of those. And just nobody's bigger than him. So that's what makes, it, makes him so interesting is when you pick – pick him up you're you'll have something that no other team has had it's um it's a not a great comparison but i use the same logic with like lamar jackson no team is going to be able to have a quarterback as fast as lamar jackson but that's why i think he's more valuable than what most people think he is granted he just didn't play that well he just wasn't able to figure it out on the field as much as we would like to see so i uh, I'd, I'd be very excited to see what he does on an NFL team, but it's going, it's going to take a year or two before he figures it out. But if he does, there's Jonathan Ogden-type potential in there. Just being that big and not slow, he, he, won't, he won't need to have the best technique in the world to be a top 16 left tackle in the NFL. He won't need to have that much technique if he can just be big and quick. So I don't want to completely throw him out the window or say he's not a first-round pick or not worth a spot in the top 16 because like he didn't really see that much on tape. I think you should. Uh, sometimes it's important, uh, good to draft uh, draft for traits and hope the coach and staff can figure out the way, best way to work, work with him. But it's a real, it's definitely a big risk, and it's definitely something you're going to need to trust in the coaching staff, and something where this guy needs to nail all of his interviews for you to want to take. Right. I mean, Mackay Becton is just. I watch his film sometimes, and it's like watching, like, a grown man play against children. He can like flick his finger, and a guy will get knocked to the ground because he's just so massive. He's got giant thighs and giant chest. It's like, how do you even like? A college guy, you couldn't be the most technically sound guy, but if you're not 300 plus pounds, you're getting moved no matter if you want, if you, if you don't want to even. He's going to move you against your own will. You can't do anything about it. He's just so inherently massive. But I think at the NFL level, I don't know if that's going to translate immediately because you got guys who are like 280 who can, are legit big dudes who you're not going to be able to move them as easily and they might be just go right by you because they're so much quicker than you are. I think he's going to be a kind of a, of a year kind of guy where you uh, need to wait on him a little bit, let him develop, let him get his technique better, let him get better pass sets, and let him get smarter on, on the playbook. And then he, his second and third year, he has the potential to be that freaky dude if you can get that all together. Obviously, it's way easier said than done, saying, oh, fix that, fix that, fix that. Look at that, you got Jonathan Ogden 2.0. But if he's able to, you might get Jonathan Ogden 2.0, like you said. Or if you don't, uh, it might be kind of a Colton Miller situation. You got a big guy, but he just can't, uh, struggles bending and struggles, struggles keeping pass rushers out. So yeah, uh, maybe a little bit similar to um, Javon Kenlaw is he's a guy that his floor is very low, but his ceiling is very high. Right. He, I think he's, as a good way to put it, especially compared to Ken Law, where it's like, you got potential to get something special here, but you also got potential to have, like, just something that's, like, yikes. Like, you, he, he's going to get burned by those guys who are still 280, 290, a bigger dude, but are, like, way quicker than him. We're going to go right by him. He can't even do anything, even if he wanted to. He, it's just, I feel like 
a team who values running the ball. Like if the Seahawks had a top 15 pick, they'd go after him. If you had a Vikings who had a top 15 pick, they'd go after him. I feel like it's a team who enjoys running the ball and wants to run the ball. I think not a good thing for analytically wise. If you want to win games, don't be doing that. But I feel like if a team who likes doing that, I think they're going to fall in love with Becton and they're going to fall in love with the tape because they're going to go, look at this dude. It's an outside zone play and he's just flicking who's ever set in the edge there and they, they can't even stop him. They're going to like, we can get this guy. I think teams are going to want that, but I don't know. It's just, it's hard to imagine. Exactly. So we got going from one physical freak to another, maybe not as much of a physical freak as Becton, but who tested out really well and who caught all his eyes is Chase Claypool. I'm not, I don't have a huge opinion on Claypool. I watched his film in Notre Dame. I saw he killed the combine. I, 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 I got a good amount of concerns with him. Paul, I know you got some things you don't really like about him or what you're worried about. What do you, what do you got in him, Paul? Oh, Chase Claypool is just such a weird player. People have been saying that he should move to tight end, but he has, like, no experience at tight end, and tight end is one of the most difficult positions to learn. So I can't be down with the thought of drafting Chase Claypool, having him sit for two to three years to develop, because that's, like, that's pretty much what happens to all tight ends, like your Mike Gusecki's and your... Uh, Dawson Knox's and those types of players, they don't really figure it out until year three, and that's what you're going to get. So I can't imagine taking him, moving him to tight end, and paying a premium pick for that. Then again, at receiver, he really doesn't have that much as much quickness or separation or route running ability that you would like for him to consistently succeed on the outside. So while he's an absolute freak athletically and can jump over large buildings on a single bounce like Superman, I'm not quite sure how you can put that on the football field considering he has trouble. He's not the best at separating on short routes or routes with breaks. You're essentially just getting a jump ball contested target monster Mm-hmm. And uh, as we've kind of seen recently with guys like Nikhil Harry, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, you can kind of go back to guys like Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funchess. It doesn't seem to be the way the NFL is going. Right. I mean, my biggest concern about him is he's he just seems like like super stiff to me. He doesn't really have the kind of separation ability that he said. He never had the route run ability, like he said. He just seems stiff. And putting him tight end, they're gonna tight ends always take. You get there's obviously exceptions to the rule with everything with like your uh, Kittles, but Kittle is once in like a generation kind of tight end where he's just moving dudes and running these great routes. But every tight end, even look at... I can't remember who the Lions took last year, tight end, but he had that one game... Hawkinson. Like, what was that? Hawkinson. There you go. Yes, TJ Hawkinson. He had that one game where he looked great and like, oh, look at this. Next week, tight end. But like after that, he was like mediocre at best. You need to give these guys time to play and time to learn and time to develop. If you're going to shift him into tight end, I think he's going to have even a longer time to develop, like you said. It's going to take him longer to be able to play tight end at an NFL level because he doesn't have any experience at tight end. He's just such a, a weird, kind of weird, just interesting prospect. Yeah, sometimes I, I like to refer to these players as uh, like Madden prospects because they're like, if you have, if it's like a video game, they have these traits and that you can kind of like use because like a lot of the technical stuff doesn't matter. Like he'd be the kind of guy that you put in the slot position, have it or put it on the outside just when goal line fades and not need to worry about anything again. But it's like, I just am not sure how he can put this all together at the next level. Now, I, w- well, I wouldn't 
put use a first or a second round or maybe an early third rounder on him. He's the ideal type of player to take with like a late third rounder or a uh, early fourth rounder because if you do have a game plan and if he does figure it out, you can have almost like the ideal big slot type of receiver. Uh, he could be somebody like Greg Olson who can stretch the seam from the middle yet also be a threat in the, in the red zone. So it's like you, if you draft a guy like him, you have to have a game plan and a super set role for him. And when you do this kind of stuff, the defenses will know what his super set role is. So not only is he going to need to do his role, he's going to need to do his role and win these contested catches when teams know that's what they're going to try to do. And that's very, very difficult. Right. He's just that weird kind of guy where you it's hard to it's hard to fit him into a role because he doesn't he'd be the big he's ideal role in the NFL should be a big slot guy, but team like you said, teams are gonna see it coming from a mile away. Like, oh they're trotting out, here comes here comes whatever number he wears, I don't I just don't remember what number he wears, but here comes Claypool bucking the slot, like, all right, he's gonna they're gonna try something in the red zone with him, we know what's coming. He's going to need to be able to win on his own. It's going to be hard to scheme up plays for him when the team knows it's coming a mile away. It's just, he's such a weird prospect. Exactly. So you just got to, it's hard being a one-trick pony in the in the uh, NFL these days. But yeah, the, the potential and the, athletic, the, the athleticism is there. Um, it was also there for Miles Boykin, who did the same, pretty much the same thing at the, at the Combine. Had like one of the best spark scores ever. Right. So, I don't yeah. know what they're feeding those kids at Notre Dame, but I could definitely use some. Right, no kidding, my goodness. Uh, we got, before we break down into guys who we like a lot compared to the rest of the most, we got to talk about this defensive, this this high-top defensive group of, like, Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, and Isaiah Simmons. All play different positions, but all are freaks in their positions. If you were so the the uh, Bengals would probably take Joe first with ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance. I lose that point zero zero one because the Bengals are the Bengals. But if you are the Redskins and say they're probably gonna take Chase Young, but if you're the Redskins in their situation, Paul, who would you take between Okuda, Chase Young, and Isaiah Simmons? I think you st- uh, this kind of goes against uh, what a lot of people at, like PFF think, but I th- still think you just got to take it Chase Young. Um, so when we've been doing all these studies on like coverage versus um, pass rush, we're using our grades, and while our grades are a great tool, they're they're still kind of. There are myths between subjective and objective but by what I'm seeing. So there are some things where it's like you see this um, happening, it gets this grade. And then there's other times where there's a little bit of gray area. So you're essentially using something a little subjective to make broad conclusions about the game. So essentially, well, I do agree with the general idea of that coverage is better than pass rush. There's seven, you're usually going to have seven coverage people and you're going to have four pass rushers. So one person can make more of an impact. If you have a mm-hmm. good pass rusher, it can open things up for your other pass rushers. If you have one good cover person, well, they can, uh, they can avoid him by only giving him three targets or running screens or doing uh, doing things of that, na- that nature. So while I agree with the general concept, I don't think it is enough to take Chase Young, who is probably the most dominant pass rusher we've seen since Von Miller, and you could even make an argument that he was even more dominant than Von Miller, for an elite corner. So I would still go with uh, Chase Young. Right. I mean, this one I have, I'm still debating, but it's so close for me. Because obviously you got Chase Young, the best probably passing prospect since Von Miller. I think he's better than Miles Garrett was. Miles Garrett was a freak in college. And it's just so hard because Chase Young is this freak, like I said. But then you got Okuda, 
who is built in a lab of how you want your cornerback, like six foot one, really athletic, a good burst, can stick on a guy's hips, playing both zone and man coverage, and he does a touch of good, really good at man coverage, to be specific. And he's so good at man coverage, it's so hard to like. Well, he's so good, you can possibly get a lockdown corner, couldn't shut down number one guys in Okuda. And then you got Isaiah Simmons at whatever position you want to call it, linebacker, safety, hybrid, do from the playmaker role, where you could put him at slot corner, linebacker, a weird like overhang safety role that doesn't really exist in the NFL. But if you want to, you can make it for Isaiah Simmons, you can play it. You have Isaiah Simmons, who can do all these different kind of roles, like a Derwin James, Jamal Adams esque kind of player. You can just shut down guys in the slot, okay, and run defense. But it's incredible on coverage. It is so hard for me to choose. If I had to, I think personally I'd take Okuda. But if you take at least one of those three, I think I'd find my me because of how just freaky talented those are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I would take. Uh, I would def- um, obviously depending on team need and scheme. I would still probably take Simmons over Okuda. I mean, one thing about corners, and this is just the nature of, of the position, is that for a lot of schemes, like being a man corner, is different from being a cover two corner, or a zone or a cover two corner is way different than being uh, a corner. A corner plays a lot of cover three. Like you will see that. Oftentimes, that a good corner can become a great corner out of nowhere after sw- um, after switching teams or just come out of nowhere, like uh, AJ Boye did a couple years ago. He was like an undrafted free agent, and he just almost like comes out of nowhere to become a, an elite corner. Or you can have guys that are great, are considered great elite corners become less than elite because they're put in the wrong system. Look at what happened when uh, Darrell Rivas went to Tampa Bay. He's a man corner. He gets put into a zone system where the defense changes, and he becomes a completely different player. You can look at somebody like Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, he was absolutely incredible in 2017. The last two years, he's been good but not great. It's very... it's. I don't, besides maybe Richard Sherman, there aren't really any corners who are consistently good every single year. It's just the position just has so much deviation, so many ups and downs. So I would take a guy like Simmons because safety or defensive playmaker is has a lot more consistent production. Then uh, take a guy like Akuda, who, yeah, he can have some elite seasons, but maybe some like similar like Denzel Ward this year. Like he had a great year as rookie year. This season he was only okay. Like uh, somebody like Isaiah Simmons can dominate no matter what the system is. Somebody like Chase Young, he's going to get to the pass rusher no matter what the defensive coordinator wants. Okuda, he can be put in the wrong system and lose a third to half of its value. Right. It It's an interesting take where you want to put them. It's just... Coverage is so valuable nowadays, especially with how heavy passing is. It's just... The value for it just skyrocketed. But I see, I see where you're coming from the Chase Young. It's such an interesting debate to have. Uh, we're going to get into guys now. Obviously, everybody's posting their draft boards or mock drafts, who they like, who they don't like. Uh, we're going to do a similar thing, but we're going to go with uh, who do we like more the most and who are we lower on the most. I know a lot of people are talking about the receiver group, particularly between Jerry Judy, CLM, and Henry Ruggs. Paul, I know you have a big opinion on Henry Ruggs and how you feel about him. Right now, look at the NFL Mock Draft database. A good buddy runs a site. It's a great site. He compiles all the mock drafts, compiles all the big boards, and kind of shows all the mock drafts and big boards, but he compiles them into a one giant one where it's, he takes all the data and puts it in there. And on his big board, of all the other big boards he's found, which is a ton of them, trust me, he has Henry Ruggs going as a 14th highest on big board, projected to go to 49ers at 13th. Paul, what do you think of that? I am very hesitant. Now, I know I said before that... Um, when you have a player that has some trait that's just so dominant uh, that you just can't resist taking it because you're going to have something that no, uh, no one else has. 
Uh, I know that that's still true, but I feel we should kind of temper our expectations for Henry Ruggs, at least for the first two seasons. So at Alabama, one, he had a lot of good wide receivers taking attention away from him. When he goes to an NFL team, he's not going to be surrounded by other receivers running four fours and and have a great court, um, have a exceptional quarterback in college or exceptional player throwing to him. So we have to kind of see what else he has besides speed. And what's kind of neat is that he doesn't really have like bad hands or um, his hands are quite nice. His ball skills are pretty good. But the thing I noticed is he doesn't separate on his breaks. Like he's fast, but I don't really see the quickness in him. So I have some concerns that year one, he's just kind of going to be stuck as kind of a gadget player. The guy you put on the field to go deep every time to take the top off of the defense, which mm-hmm. yes, it's, it's valuable, but he isn't going to be putting up those kinds of numbers. I can kind of fear um, him, maybe him being like a taller Andy Isabella, where yes, at any point in time, he can break something open and right. do something crazy. Uh, I think that's a more realistic expectation for him than for him to just come into the league and be Tyreek Hill. That's definitely a possibility in three in about three years. But I think year one, you're going to have just kind of a, play, uh, a player who is your trick play specialist, your bait. And even then, I, Tyreek Hill is a pretty special player. I'm very concerned that he ends up being, that Will Fuller is a little bit closer to where his, um, where his most likely ceiling will be. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's an interesting prospect. Is that he's? I think for the analytics people, particularly PFF and people in general who love Henry Ruggs, are saying he just can take the top off a of defense. He has elite level speed. He can burn guys constantly. He's the ability to take it to the house literally on every single play. But I think it's so hard to project that to the NFL, and it's so hard to say. Well, he, he can be in the NFL as like a Deshaun Jackson type, but it's so hard to say he will be because you can't guarantee he'll be Deshaun Jackson. You get like, like you said, like a taller Andy Isabella where he has potential to do it, but it doesn't happen that often. And it's just hard to, to determine where, where he'll, what he'll be because he has such a high range of potential. Exactly. And like, I don't really, I wouldn't be mad at any team for taking him in the first round. I'd still say he's probably my third, maybe fourth receiver on the board. It's just, I can't um, take a guy like Ruggs, who is the third best or third most targeted receiver on his own team. That's another issue you have. Very small sample size. I think he had like 80, I don't think he had 100 catches in his, uh, in his career. So, I'm taking a guy with a really small sample size who are just entirely banking on his skill set. And I don't think you can take that over somebody like Jerry Judy, who has, who's very athletic, but is also an incredible route runner, good hands, can separate at all points in the field. Or somebody like C.D. Lamb, who is, has been constantly productive, has incredible like hands and yards after catch and ball skills like it's not it's not worth taking somebody who just has all um, all speed and only 98 catches and a best season with his best season he had 40 catches 744 yards and seven touchdowns like that's like good on like a yards per catch basis but that volume just isn't there there's so much we don't know if he can keep this up on a consistent basis. Right. It's just, it's hard to determine who, how the hell he'll do the NFL because even though it's so different, and I think my biggest concern with Ruggs is he's not a big guy whatsoever. I'm really worried about the physicalness of the NFL. Like if he's going to get jacked up at the, off- at the offensive line, excuse me, get jacked up at the line of scrimmage by these guys who are pressing on him and just hit him hard and he's just, stumbles and he just loses his speed advantage he has with these guys 
I'm worried about how it's going to get released off the line. It's just, it's really hard to determine how good it's going to be when you have and take them over these guys like Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, who is easier to project because of Jerry Judy's separation ability and his route running ability, and C.D. Lamb, who is all his production and his ability to break uh, tackles after the catch. It's just hard to, for me and for you, obviously, to fall in love with the Henry Ruggs when you got these other things going against him, like the players and himself. Yeah, it's going to be, there's just so many good wide receivers in this class, like somebody like Jalen Rager, I think, is, who's kind of like Henry Ruggs light. They're about the same size, same build, both freakishly fast, have great jumping ability. Like these, like all these guys can have impact. They're all, they, were, they would probably all be considered as a top wide receiver in last year's draft class. So I think that's kind of like another argument is why would you take somebody like Henry Ruggs in the middle of the first when you might be able to take Jalen Rager late in the first or early in the second? Or somebody right. like Michael Pittman or Ayuk. Yeah. It's, oh, there's so, so many, so many wide receivers this year. Yeah, I love Brandon Ayuk and I love Jalen Rager to the Packers. I'm a huge Packers fan. So any of those guys, I'd be a fan of opposite of uh, Devontae Adams. One other receiver who I am personally not a huge fan of in the slightest, I don't think should be a first-round receiver, a lot of guys are having him as their number one, is Justin Jefferson out of LSU. I, I, I really don't see it. I feel like he's a slot receiver, which is fine by me, but I feel like if you have a slot receiver, you cannot take him in the first round because you should put him on the outside. I'm really worried about how he's going to play on the outside because... I feel he's going to be against his guys who come from press coverage against him. And he's just going to get completely shut down in the line of scrimmage. And it really scares me for him. And he's he's an okay route runner. He's a solid route runner to me. But I feel like he thrives more against just fighting holes in zone coverage, which I guess is it. it's a skill. And you need the IQ to do it. But you need... It's easier to do than, say, beating a guy downfield, having this great route running ability, like, uh, having a great ability like Jerry Judy does. I just don't really see the love in Justin Jefferson from my perspective. I don't think everybody's saying a package perspective, my team. I'm not a huge fan of that move. I just don't see the value in taking a guy like a Justin Jefferson. He's great at uh, catching the ball, high pointing the ball, but I really don't see the hype around like a Justin Jefferson type of Justin Jefferson type of player. Yeah, I can I can see that as well. Um, one of the things that's very difficult in scouting is being able to determine what is a weakness and what is something that we don't know because they're not being asked to do it. Mm-hmm. You're kind of talking about with this with Herbert, but this is probably even more potent with somebody like Justin Jefferson. How can you tell how good his release is or if he has release to succeed and at the next level when he's only in the slot? How can you tell how good he's going to be on the outside when he only has 500 or so snaps there? So that's kind of something that I think like the work by or like something like the senior bowl or private workouts or things like the combine are so important because this allows you to see running backs who don't have any tar- who have like 10 targets, how well they catch. Outside receivers or uh, slot receivers who don't play much outside and don't see much press coverage, how well they can react uh, to to such a uh, occurrence. So while yeah, you're right that like Justin Jefferson probably is a little over uh, overhyped. I don't really see any trait in him. I mean, maybe besides hands that just jumps off of the page and just screams first rounder. But I, there is a chance that if he can play outside and he can fill both of those roles, that year one he can be a solid second uh, second option and be maybe similar to what like DJ Moore was his uh, his rookie um, rookie year. Play some slot, play some outside, use uh, use quickness to get um, get to where you need to go, and hopefully separate that way. Yeah, I mean. If you can do that, that'd be great, honestly. But I agree with what you're saying there, where it's like you don't know what a guy does because he didn't really eat. Jefferson never did at LSU, so it's perfect for these opportunities like 
private workouts when he's showing off his skills or anything. But the thing that sucks about that right now is you can't do that. The coronavirus going on. It makes it hard for, say, a team feels the same way as me, where they're like, we like the guy, but I'm, we can't play him outside. We haven't seen him against press coverage. And they were going to have him for a private workout, say, in Green Bay, for example, my team. They are going to have him in Green Bay. So like, we'll see how he does against press coverage. Let's we'll see how he does against like, tight man coverage and all this. Like, now they can't do that at all because everything's shut down. It makes things really interesting now. Like, certain guys you can't see. That, like, you can't see how good they were in cases like Jefferson gets press coverage. It makes things really interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's, that scouts need to... Um need to deal with all all the time they can try the, the, uh normally scouts and nfl staff we have like friendships or talk or with college coaches or we'll try to talk with them and try to see what's going on but, but i mean unless it's harbaugh and richard sherman the coaches are always going to hype their guys up they're always going to put their guys say oh the guy's great draft him so that's just kind of like the kind of like the game and i think this year it's going to be kind of interesting because with, with uh, this pandemic, the coaches aren't going to have as much information that we that isn't publicly available. So I wouldn't be surprised if like the mock drafts and the um, and kind of like what the general consensus is a little bit closer to reality because teams aren't going to have the time to bring guys in workouts and just fall in love fall in love with a lesser known player. Right. It's. It's really interesting, especially just and, and like that too. Now with guys like with medical histories, like Tua Tagovailoa, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, how he has that, I believe it was a hip issue, I believe it was. He has some kind of lower body issue, but it makes it interesting where teams going to usually have see a team like Miami, who would be interesting. Tua has him in to work out. They would have their medical staff go up to him and like, check him out and like have him come in and like, make sure... He's structured okay. Now you can't do that. You can't get your own guys. And NFL teams are really weird where they want their own personnel saying, looking at this guy and going, he's okay or we got a problem here. But now the NFL teams can't do that. It's be really interesting to see what's going on that. Exactly. That's uh, that's that makes it very very difficult. But I mean that's why they get paid the big bucks and. Yeah. We don't get paid anything, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, another guy who I'm a little higher on the most is Geno Stone, the safety out of University of Iowa. Right now, I'm looking at the NFL mock draft database at the draft board, and right now they have him at 140 on average compared out of all the draft board, which is like fourth round, I want to say. Late fourth round. And I'm looking at him like, I really don't get this one at all. Like how I I get it. He's not like a supreme athlete here in your year. What's his name? Grant Delpitch, like out at LSU. He's not like these freaky athlete or safety that you want. But I fell in love with his instincts. He is such a smart player. He's got great zone instincts, and he can. I see him take off on passes before the ball is even thrown. The ball is like just about to be cocked, and he sees where the ball is going right. Like he recognizes it. He's so good at it. He's a great tackler as well in open field. He's got okay speed. He's not super explosive, which was personally worries me. That's his biggest, not red flag, but biggest concern of mine is that he's not elite level speed, but he makes so much up for it by having great eyes, great vision, incredible instincts, and great smarts. And he's still relatively young. I think he's like only 21. So he's got a lot of potential, a lot of room to grow. And I think if he does end up falling to like the fourth round, I think teams are going to get a huge steal on Geno Stone, personally, to me. Paul, I don't know how you feel about Geno Stone. I have your opinion on him. You got anything on him? Uh, I don't. I haven't watched him personally, but from what you've been telling me, it reminds me of the two other Iowa prospects that um, kind of represent like the flip the opposite side of the coin. One was Desmond King, who I think he graded like off the charts for us at Iowa or for us at PFF while he was in Iowa. Mm-hmm. But he but he was small and he was I think he ran like a four six. 
but he had the instincts, he had the quickness, he had a tenacity when pass rushing and can do a bunch of different things, so he was able to succeed. Another similar player was Josh Jackson, who, again, similar to Desmond King and what seems like with this guy, um, had a lot of production, great instincts, but didn't have the speed, and now he got moved to safety, and now... And last season, he only had like 102 snaps and very mediocre PFF grades. So really kind of depends a lot on some of these athletes. I know that's kind of what's kind of been like the theme of the, this episode is we don't know anything. Yeah. So, yeah, those are, I think, two options that, um, that, could, that could happen. The instincts take over and he just has the smarts to make up for it. Or he gets overwhelmed by the speed and quickness of the NFL. Yeah, I think I think there will be there's struggles at the NFL level because of his speed. I'm not saying there won't be. I'm not saying he's a pro prospect because he clearly isn't. Nobody is. But I think that his elite level instincts and zone coverage abilities, I think, is going to really help him to jump to the next level. And I think if he gets like an NFL locker room, or an NFL locker room, NFL weight room, an NFL training program, and these high level trainers and People or workout people are going to help him out a lot. I think he can bulk up, get faster, get better. I think he could be, end up being a great safety at the NFL level. Another safety I like, who was at 68th in the NFL mock draft database, so just outside the second round, is Ashton Davis. I really don't get, I haven't seen any hype on him at all in terms of literally anywhere. I don't want to get it at all. He's an incredible athlete, a track star speed. Super explosive, great hips, uh, can hit guys hard, and he's super smart, super ish smart to me. His problem with me is he's a smart kid, he knows what he's looking at, but he just gets distracted and he keeps like his eyes on the QB and just like doesn't realize something's going on over here. He recognizes where to go, but he's just like a tick slow, which is which isn't the best thing, but he's like the opposite of Junior Stone almost, not that he's. He's not dumb, obviously, but he is tick slow on some plays. He knows what he's looking at to tick slow, but is an incredible athlete. I love Ashton Davis as like a late first rounder, early second rounder. I think just behind Grant Delpit, I love him a lot. Yeah, what do you think of uh, Ashton Davis at all, Paul? Do you have anything on him? Uh, honestly, I have not. I have not watched him. And uh, your thing, your um, analysis, see, uh, seems all right to me. You got any other guys who you're a little higher on than uh, most guys, or do you think we got it covered at all? I think we, uh, I think we covered all, uh, all of the basis. I have to walk the dog here soon, so uh, that's um, I think we're all set. Sounds good to me. Thanks for having on, coming on, Paul. Give you a quick social media shout out. We got. Go follow Paul on Twitter at the Foot Paul, T H E F O O T P A U L. It's a little play on words. Paul's quite the comedian. And then go follow Paul over at Twitter also at PFF underscore Eagles. PFF underscore E A G L E S Eagles. Paul, thank you for coming on. We'll do this another time, buddy. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Bye.